Well, good morning and welcome to Waypoint Community Church. My name is Nick Ramundo. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really glad that you're with us this weekend. Um, sometimes when I listen to that song, I think of my relationship with Christ and with God, and I wonder, is God saying those same things to me? You're hot and you're cold. You're yes and you're no. You're up and then you're down. Where are you going with this relationship? Are you, are you taking it seriously? I'm calling you to do these things, and sometimes you're on fire. When I tell you to do something, you understand why I'm telling you to do it, and you go and you do it, and you're just on fire for me. And then other times you're cold, and you just kind of check out, and you're like, you know what, God? I was nice to people. I went to church. I can check the box. I'm good. Sometimes I'm all in for Christ, and it's like, you, you want me to talk to that person over there? All right, I'll go talk to them. You want me to serve here? I'm going to serve there. You want me to do this? And then other times I'm like, no, Lord, just, just let me watch some Netflix and relax. I've been, I've been working all week. I don't want to go above and beyond. I don't want to do more. And I think of that song as a reflection with my walk with Christ, and not only with my walk with Christ, but also with my walk in the Bible and diving into the Word. Sometimes I am in it in the morning, during the day, and in the evening, and I'm using it and allowing it to lead my life and where I want to go. And then other times, it's the last thing I want to do. I, I absolutely dread diving into the word. And so sometimes I'm on fire, and then other times I'm cold. And if I had to guess, I would guess that that explains or describes a lot of our relationships here when it comes to the Bible. And so this is week two of our series called Miscommunications. Last week, we looked at how easy it is for us to create foundational things that God never intended. They were miscommunicated to us. It might have sounded good. It might have been taken out of context. But we took some sort of truth that somebody told us or that we read out of context, and it created a foundational issue in our life. Well, today, the direction that I'd like to go is to look at, okay, well, when these things come into our life, how can we check and make sure that what we're reading is actually truth? If we have a question about the Bible, what are some skills or things that we could do to check ourselves and make sure that we're understanding what God originally intended when he had those things written? But before we get there, I would like to do a little quick activity with you at your tables. And so to do this activity, I'm going to talk about a guy who is very known in the pop culture world. Some of you might know his name as soon as I say it. Others of you might be like, oh my gosh, who's that guy? But his name is Kanye West. He is a pop icon, or he thinks he is a pop god, and he thinks that he has done some pretty cool things in the world and that he's incredibly relevant. Now, I'm not debating whether he has or he hasn't. A lot of people listen to his music and follow him. He says a lot of things, like he's going to be running for president in 2020. So if you don't know him, you might want to do some research because you may vote for him. I don't know. Um, that's your choice. But he has said some stuff that has been considered kind of almost scriptural. The way he says it, it makes it sound like it could be something that Jesus said. And so last year, the youth group, Mike did an activity with the students where they had to decide, was this something Jesus said, or was this something that Kanye West said? And so we are going to play the same activity. Kanye West also goes by a nickname, and his nickname is Jesus. So the game is, did Jesus or Jesus say it? And you guys are going to have to try and figure out who said it. But in case you doubt um, whether Kanye thinks he's a god or not, there is a book that some of his followers have created, and it is called The Book of Jesus. And in this, you can see that he did not produce this. He did not get it done. It was people that like him. 
and that are his fans. They created this book. It's the first chapter, or it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis, with God and Yahweh removed and Kanye and Jesus put in their place. And Kanye says, God chose me. He made me a path, he made a path for me. I am God's vessel, but my greatest pain in, li- in my life is that I will not be able to see myself perform. So as you can tell, humility isn't an issue for him. Um, and he has said some other things that have been pretty, pretty cool and pretty radical and people have listened to or followed. But if you wanted to, you could buy for $25 a copy of this book online. You just have to Google it. It will pop right up. And if you were to look in the, about the book, it says, if the Bible is the most significant publication in the ancient canon of Western tradition, we're updated, we are updating to reflect our modern society. What would it look like? The book of Jesus is a creative version bound in gold leaf etched, illustrated black leather book that details the story of Genesis for the new age. In its foreword, we explore our cultural state of religiosity and its capacity for wonder. How does spirituality and evolutionary reflex manifest in the digitalized world? Why does Kanye West take such an outsized significance in the lives of many? The Book of Jesus is an interventionist art coffee table novelty that will appeal to the Kanye fans everywhere and those made curious by the enormous cultural phenomenon of Kanye West. And so Kanye considers himself very relevant in the culture. He would call himself a god of pop culture. And so what I would like you to do is you're going to choose one person at your table to be the designated hand raisers. I'm going to say a verse or a section of scripture or it may be something that Kanye said. And if you think Jesus said it, the person at your table will raise their hand. If you think Jesus said it, Kanye, then you will not raise your hand. You'll keep your hands down. And you guys are going to try and keep track and see how many you can get right. There's eight of them. Some of them are really easy and obvious. Other ones are a little bit tougher. And so if you would, introduce yourself to the people at your table, and then we're going to throw the first one up there. All right. If you are sitting at a table by yourself and you'd like to join somebody, feel free to move around. Or if you're at some of the chairs and you're kind of by yourself, feel free to find a group. But the first one that you have to identify, did Jesus say it or did Jesus say it, is if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you think Jesus said it, you'll raise your hand. If you think Jesus said it, then don't raise your hand. I'll give you five seconds to decide as a group. Go ahead. All right, if you think Jesus said it, hands up. All right, see some hands up. Jesus did say this in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Number two, I am a God. Was that Jesus or Jesus? If you think it was Jesus, raise your hands. Don't be bashful. You might be the only one that gets it right. But it was Jesus. He does think highly of himself. Number three, I am like a tree. I feed the branches of my people. Jesus or Jesus? If you think Jesus said that, go ahead and raise your hands. All right, that was actually Jesus. Kanye takes care of the people around him. Number four, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust God and trust in me also. Was that Jesus or Jesus? If you think it was Jesus, raise your hands. It was Jesus. He said that in John 14, verse 1. Number five, with great blessing comes great responsibility. 
Jesus or Jesus? If you think it was Jesus, go ahead and raise your hands. It was Jesus, Kanye West. Number six, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's trouble is enough. Jesus or Jesus? If you think it was Jesus, raise your hands. And it was Jesus. He said it in Matthew 6, verse 34. One day, the light will shine through, and one day, people will understand everything I did. Jesus or Jesus? You think it was Jesus, raise your hands. You think it was Jesus, don't raise them. And it was Jesus. Kanye will reveal himself at some point, or people will understand, I guess. Number eight. The only thing I desire to do in life is help people. Jesus or Jesus? This one was Kanye Jesus. So the reason I wanted to do this quick activity with you was just to reiterate um, the fact that we talked about last week. We hear all sorts of things that sound really good, and they could be truth, and it could be from the Bible, and it's really easy to confuse what Jesus said and what this guy named Kanye said. And so if we can mix it up with what Kanye said, we probably can mix it up with what other people who may even be more influential than what he is have said. And we might allow that to come into our lives and we believe a truth that God never intended. And maybe we believe this truth so much that it starts to shape who we are. And God never put that in your life for you to live that way. And this story doesn't reign true for anybody more than a guy that I was watching a video on YouTube his name is uh, Joshua Evans, and if you were to search Joshua Evans, his story would come right up. He goes around, he gives lectures to different groups of people, and he just explains what his upbringing was and what he currently is doing. And Joshua Evans was a guy who grew up in North Carolina, and he had a loving family. There's no doubt about it. His grandparents loved him like crazy, and they raised him. His mom stepped out of the family at an early age, and the dad worked a lot of hours, so he was never around but his grandparents took care of him and made sure that he was cared for and loved. And from a young age, they put a huge emphasis on going to church. The church that they went to was just down the street for them. So whenever the doors were open, they were going to it. It didn't matter if it was Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. If they were having something, they were going to be there. And what Joshua remembers is growing up in this loving but strict Christian home. And he just remembers sitting on wooden pews, listening to some old guy talk about things that didn't even matter to him. And he was so bored and hated it. In fact, his grandma would give him money to put in the tithe box, or the tithe, the, when they would pass the offering plate. And when she would give it to him, he would just try and do some origami or something with it to try and pass time. And he really didn't enjoy going to church, but he knew that it was an expectation of the family. So he went, and he was too young to not go, so he went along until he got into a grade where he could go to Sunday school. And when he went to Sunday school, he realized, wow, they feed us, they tell us some pretty cool stories, we play games, this is fun. I'm meeting new friends, I actually kind of enjoy church. And the best part for him was hearing the stories. He loved hearing about Noah and the ark, Jonah and the whale, um, David and Goliath. David was his favorite character because Josh was a little bit smaller than everybody else in his class. And to think of David, the smaller guy, slaying Goliath was something that he really looked up to and something that also comes back around later in his story. But Joshua started enjoying church. And then he got to where he could start going to youth group. And that's when things really started to get going for him in his walk with Christ. See, he started going on Saturday nights. 
In the first 30 minutes, they were just playing dodgeball, kickball, games, eating food. There was new people that he's never met before. He was talking, uh, gaining a lot of friendships, and they were deep friendships, people that he trusted and loved, and he was loving it. And then the youth pastor would come for the last 30 minutes or so and share something from the Bible that actually mattered to Joshua. It was something that was in his daily life. It wasn't just an old guy up there speaking about stuff that didn't matter to him. It was somebody who knew exactly what he was going through. And so for the first time in his life, he would say, I was going to church because I wanted to go and not because my grandparents made me go. And so that was a big step for him. The youth pastor at the time was a senior in high school who had stepped into a role to take care of um, a need that the church had. And so he and that senior started to become really good friends, and they started hanging out a lot. In fact, the senior, who was his best friend, lived across the street from him. And so he would go over, and they would hang out a lot. And so as he was starting to hang out with him more and more, he realized, maybe I'm being called to ministry And so as he was going through high school, he started playing around with this idea that maybe I should be a missionary, an evangelist, or maybe I should become a pastor. And he was trying to decide what he would want to do. So he was diving into the word more and more. He wanted to learn as much as he could. He would describe himself as a nerd. And so he liked reading and learning more than most other kids did. And he was also a perfectionist. So if he put his mind to something, he wanted to be the best at it. And so when his friend went away to Bob Jones University, a famous Christian college, he realized, hey, I want to go to Bob Jones when I get to, when I become a senior and graduate high school. I want to go and become a pastor. And so he was really following in his friend's footsteps, but he was feeling called and led in that direction. And so when his friend would come home and would have textbooks and different um, things that he was learning from school, Joshua would want to know everything about what he learned. What are you doing? What's your major going to be? What's that book say? Can I have that textbook after you're done? I would love to read it and understand what you're doing. And so Joshua was trying, he wanted to have a head start when he went to Bob Jones University, and he wanted to know as much as he could. And so he really started being interested in textual criticism. And that's a type of field where you really dive into the Bible and try and see what did God originally mean when he wrote or had somebody, inspired somebody to write what they wrote. What was the original intent for the culture, for the, for the group of people, and what does he want to come across to us today as we read through Scripture? And so he decided, well, maybe this is a field that I could get into. Um, and he was going ahead and he was reading the textbooks and it was something that he was enjoying until his friend came to him. It was his junior summer and said, hey, Josh, do you read the Bible? And Josh said, yeah, I read the Bible. I'm, I'm leading youth group. He said, no, do you read the Bible? And he said, yes, of course I read the Bible. I'm pulling out stories. I'm allowing God to show me what he wants me to teach to the students. I'm reading it constantly. And the friend said, have you ever read it? from Genesis to Revelations all the way through. Joshua said, no, I I haven't read it. I I don't know who does that. I just read different books of the Bible at times and have worked my way through it. And he said, well, I think that this summer, what you and I should do is we should set a goal. We're going to read through it from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to read through it in a unique way. Let's act like we were walking down a desert island, nobody was around, and we come across this book that's just laying there. And we pick it up and we start reading it. Let's not take any background information, any background knowledge into it. Let's just open it up and read it as if it was the first time and see how God speaks to us. And Joshua, being a a self-proclaimed nerd, was like, yeah, definitely, let's do it, let's go. And so that's what they started doing. And as he was diving into the Old Testament, he really had a hard time separating other stories that he heard in Sunday school versus what he was actually reading. 
And so when he was reading about some of his favorite characters, he started having questions, and he started wondering things. Because before, he saw Noah as this great guy who stood up against people that were making fun of him for building this ark. But now he's reading a story where it says Noah got drunk one night, and maybe Noah was a drunkard. And if he was, how can I trust what Noah had to say? How do I know that he wasn't just drunk sometime, had a vision from God, and now all of a sudden, this has been put in the Bible? He started to look at at the life of other people like David. David slayed Goliath. He was a personal hero. But yet David was an adulterer, murderer, and liar. And if this person with these type of character traits are in this holy book, how can I trust it? Why would God choose those types of people to write the Bible? The the best-selling, the biggest book that's going to impact humanity to today is full of people who have moral problems and ethical issues. Lot, who saved his family from a town that was being destroyed, ended up getting drunk by his daughters and laid with them. How can this be? This is not the Bible that I heard about as a kid. Something is wrong. And so he went and sat down with his pastor, and he told his pastor what he was feeling and the questions that he had, and his pastor didn't really give him a good answer. He just said, hey, listen, Joshua, we live by faith alone, and sometimes you're going to read something that might not make sense to you, but if you trust in God, then you should have enough faith to be able to move past these issues that you have in your life. For, for Joshua, that wasn't a good answer. And so we pushed a little bit harder. And the pastor said, listen, the Old Testament was a completely different covenant. We don't understand it as well as we do the New Testament, which is a covenant that we're under. Why don't you start reading the New Testament and see what you can find in there? So Joshua was like, you know what? I didn't get the answers that I wanted, but I will give it a shot and see what happens. And right away, as he's reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels that explain Jesus' ministry and story on earth, he starts seeing contradictions and controversies between the different books. He says to himself, these books were supposed to be kind of eyewitness accounts and very close to the source, but yet there's different stories happening in different books, and this doesn't make sense to me. If this was the divine book from God, why don't all of them say the exact same thing? And so he continued reading, and as he was reading about Paul, again, he sees Paul was this guy who did so much great things, but before it, his life as Saul, he was kind of a scumbag jerk. And how could God choose a person with a terrible character to write the best book in the world? And so he was really struggling with some things. And so he got an appointment with a professor of textual criticism and sat down and processed through everything that he was feeling. And this professor told him, What you have to understand is when you're reading this book, you're reading a book that's over thousands of years old. As you read it, it was written to a completely different group of people at a completely different culture. There's going to be things in there that don't make sense to us or that were written for different people, so they might be written differently. But you are going to come across some things that you just don't understand. And when you get to those points, you have to have enough faith and trust based on all the other things that we know are true to be able to move through them. And Joshua walked out of that meeting thinking, you know what? I've kind of gotten cop-out answers from a pastor and from this professor because they can't really explain to me what's going on. And I want to know answers for what is happening. Why are these misconceptions, miscommunications? Why are there controversies in the Bible? I want to know the answers of the why behind it. I just don't want an answer of, well, by faith alone you should live and go out. And so Joshua decided at that point that he could no longer be a Christian and he walked away from the church. Now, he wasn't done with God. He believed in God. He just didn't know what religion he should believe in. 
And so he searched hard. And every time he searched, what he used as the baseline was whatever book they were reading. So if that religion had a book, he was going to read it, and he was looking for any type of contradiction or any type of issue that may come up to create a stumbling block in his life. And he was looking for people that were writing that were living very upstanding lives. And so he checked into Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Taoism. He went to all these different religions and couldn't find anything until he came upon Islam. And he started reading the Quran, and he started to feel like God was revealing things to him. And so today, he goes around and he speaks as a, a Muslim person, and he preaches about Islam, and he preaches about the Quran. And his testimony, his lecture is called, How the Bible Made Me a Muslim. And when I read that and saw that, initially, I wasn't looking for a story to share today about how the Bible led somebody away from Christianity. What I thought I was going to find was stories about how somebody came across the Bible in some unique way and read it, and all of a sudden, they're this Christian that's on fire doing crazy things for the Lord. But what I found instead was a lot of stories like Joshua, where he was a Christian, and he loved Jesus, he loved the Bible, but as he started to get answers from people, he started to be led away from Scripture because it didn't make sense to him, and nobody was taking the time to explain things to him. And so there's a bunch of people out there that are walking away from their faith because what they're reading, they're not understanding, and it doesn't make sense. And at a time, the church probably was its own worst person in this situation because we would use a lot of language where it just is the way it is or you just need to believe this or by faith you should understand this you should trust in the lord and there's a lot of us out there that, that we might read across something in the bible that we're like "Hmm, i wonder what that means but we trust god enough to say god you've taken care of me my whole life i know you're true i understand that there's a deeper meaning there I'm not going to take the time to dive in. I just trust you. But there's another group, and it's a huge group of our culture and society that wants answers. They want to understand the Bible. They want to know what it means. When they have a question, they don't want to be blown off by people. And so I would guess that at times you may have even had a question about faith, and maybe you got a good answer, or maybe you didn't get a good answer. But what I was wondering was how could this guy named Joshua, who loved the Lord, was raised in a family that loved him, that encouraged going to church, he was plugged in in youth group, go from this guy who was on fire from the Lord to this guy that now is practicing a completely different religion and not connected at all. And it was all because he didn't have questions answered. And so what I would hate to see for you or for I is for us to walk away from our faith because we don't feel like we're having our questions answered or we don't even understand how to read scripture or to dive into the word. When we come across something that we don't know if it's truth or not, instead of just kind of bailing and walking out, I hope that I can give you some tools to dive in and really see what was God saying in these moments? What did he want us to learn from this? What was he trying to tell the people at the, t at the time? And where can we take it now? I, I would have to guess that there's probably people here today that have had questions and probably have questions about the Bible. I hope that you know Waypoint is a safe place to ask those questions. I think questions are incredibly good. It's what drives us as human beings. It, it's what's going to make your faith deeper is when you understand it at a deeper level. And so if you ever have a question about what the Bible's saying, about what God's calling you to do, there are people here that would love to have conversations with you. I know that I don't know everything about the Bible. But what I can guarantee is I would have loved to partner alongside and work through whatever questions you have. 
Don't be afraid to ask the questions. And if you're not getting the answers that you're getting, don't just bail on God. Tell somebody, I still don't feel like I have enough information. Can we continue working through this together? Because the last thing that I want to see is somebody give up their faith because they allowed a miscommunication to come into their life. And so what I would like to do for the rest of today is give you four things that I think you could do if you wanted to understand the Bible at a deeper level. If you came across something and you were like, I'm just not sure what God was saying here. This doesn't make sense based on something that I read earlier in the Bible. Or I've heard this from someone, but I think it may be out of context. If you ran it through these four things, I think you would have a pretty good shot at understanding what God initially meant by these sections of Scripture. And so the way we're going to do it is I'm going to talk about the four things as we look at different verses in the Bible that have been common miscommunications or considered contradictions by the rest of the world. And so if you want to, you can turn to the pages of the, the chapters of the Bible. The first one we're going to is Luke chapter 6, verse 20. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so in Luke 6, 20, it's right when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount, getting ready to speak. But then if we move down, or if we go to another book of the gospel, which recorded a lot of the similar stories, we come into Matthew, which is 5.3. And it said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what people have said over, over time is that this was happening at the same time. Jesus was getting ready to give the Sermon on the Mount. And as he was giving the sermon, one of the things he said was, blessed are you who are poor, and then the other one is, blessed of you who are poor in spirit. And so they think one is talking about a financial aspect, and the other one is take, talking more about a spiritual aspect. So how can these two things be coexisting when they're talking about the same thing God is saying? Now, I do have to say, there's a group, big group of people out there as well that say these are two completely different sections of Scripture. Jesus was teaching at two different times, and they're not the, both from the Sermon on the Mount. But whichever one you believe, it doesn't really hurt the point that I'm trying to make of who is the author. If you want to read the Bible, the first thing that you should try and understand is who is the author. And second to that, who was the author writing to? Because if we look at Luke, what we quickly understand is Luke was somebody who grew up in a uh, Greek city, and he was very well educated, and he knew exactly who he was talking to. So when he wrote his gospel, he was talking to a group of people that were Gentiles. They kind of would have been the down and out people of society. They would have looked down, been looked down upon. And so if these two sections of scripture were from the same teaching of Jesus, it would make sense for Luke to talk more about being financially poor or being poor in life because they would understand exactly what it meant to be poor and to go through that process. And so the principle that Jesus was trying to teach would come across very clearly when you talk about a financial sense. But when you look at Matthew, you see somebody who's teaching to Jewish people that were, some were Jewish Christians, some were still Jewish people, but they were coming through the process, and they would have known the Old Testament really well, and what they would have hung their hat on was the ability of their knowledge and their spiritual walk with God. They would have held themselves at a high esteem compared to the rest of the culture because they were with God. And so when we look at being poor in spirit, that is something that would have hit them right in the heart. They would have related to in spirit means more of a religious term. And so when you're talking about religious things, that makes sense to them. 
And so when we look at these two sections of Scripture, you could easily say, well, it looks like there's a contradiction here. Or you could say, well, the author was writing to an intended audience, and the audience had different backgrounds, were coming from a different place, and the principle of what they're trying to say is the exact same. It's the way they communicate it that is different. The second thing that I think you need to look at comes, again, from the Sermon on the Mount. It is where this took place. So where did it take place is the second point that I think you should look at when you're reading Scripture. In Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach. And what I didn't understand when I used to read the section of Scripture is I was thinking Jesus was probably kind of bored and tired of being followed around by the crowd, so he wanted to just escape with his crew, and so he was just talking to his group of people. But what I started to understand and realize, especially when we went to Israel a few years ago, was that Jesus went to a specific place, and where it took place mattered, because it was right off the side of the Sea of Galilee. There were a bunch of different groups of people. It was a hodgepodge melting pot of people who were um, followed, they were Jewish, there were Jewish Christians, there were Gentiles, there were all sorts of different people, because there was a lot of business around the sea. And so where Jesus positioned himself was like a modern-day amphitheater. It was just a natural place where his voice would carry. And so I was thinking Jesus found a place where he could kind of seclude himself, but truthfully, Jesus was standing somewhere where he could speak to the whole world. He was giving a message to the world in his Sermon on the Mount about what they were going to need to do, how they needed to live, what was going to come, what was going to happen. And he was calling some people out. This was a very bold sermon because what he was telling them and what he was saying corrections on was things that they were living their lifestyle. So he was calling them out on their lifestyle of sin. And it wasn't just something that he was merely saying to the 12 disciples. It was something that he wanted the whole world to hear. And so I think when you read the Bible, if you know where it took place, you have an opportunity of understanding what the initial intent was of that section of Scripture. The next one comes from a very famous verse that you'll all recognize, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so this section of Scripture I typically see on graduation cards or wedding cards. God's got a plan for you. He's got a hope and a future for you. Go out, do great things. Things are going to go well for you. But the truth is, we've misunderstood what the intent of this section of Scripture was. And we missed the mark. Because if we were to read in Jeremiah 29.10, we would see that it says, When 70 years are completed from Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring, back to, and bring you back to this place. See, we have to understand when it was written. At this time in history, about 580 B.C., Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire had conquered the Israelites, and they were holding them captive. And so they were living in exile. And as they lived in exile, they were in a really hard time. And so there were prophets that were going around saying, listen, if you stay faithful to the Lord for one year, he will rescue us and deliver us, and he'll take care of us, and there's going to be great things in our life. We just have to stay faithful for one year. But Jeremiah had the courage to come up and say, no, listen, I know this isn't popular, but for the next 70 years, we're going to be captive. Some of you might not even live through being captive. Your whole life might be 
under the rule of Babylonians. But after 70 years, God has a plan for us. He has a future for us. And what we can take with that into today's mindset is God has a plan and a future for you. And that might mean that you're facing health problems. It might mean that you face a death of a loved one. Things aren't always going to go great, but God has a plan for you. And it might take your entire life before you see what that plan is, or he might be revealing it really soon to you. But over the course of your life, you have to hang on to this promise, whether things are good or bad, that God has a plan for you. And that plan is a good one to give you a hope and a future. But if you don't understand at the time period that Scripture is being written, you might miss the intent of what that section of Scripture was. And then the last one is another famous verse. It comes from Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a lot of people's life verse. Um, in fact, I have a t-shirt that says it right on it. I love wearing that shirt out, especially my wife and I occasionally. I don't exercise a lot, but we'll go hiking or kayaking. And I always wear that shirt because typically there's a group of people that are around that same type of thing that we want to accomplish. And so that group of people can see that message. And I think it's a pretty cool message. And I've seen athletes write it on their shoes. They write Philippians 4.13 because they're going to go out there and they're going to win the NBA finals or they're going to lift that Lombardi trophy or whatever they're going after. They know they can do it through Christ who gives them strength. But if we don't understand what's happening around the situation, which is the fourth principle, we might miss what God really meant. See, when this section of scripture was written, what was happening in the situation was Paul was sitting in a jail cell. He wasn't about to go out and win thousands of people to Christ. He wasn't about to go out and get a whole bunch of money and have this comfortable lifestyle. He was sitting in jail, and I can't imagine what that was like, writing a letter of encouragement to the, to the, the, Philippi, the clan of Philippi. And he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we quote that a lot, but we never look at the verse before it, which says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, well-living, in plenty, or in want. Paul is saying, no matter what circumstance you're going through, Church of Philippi, be content because you can do anything through Christ. So whether you're hungry right now, trust in the Lord. Whether you're well-fed, trust in the Lord. Whether a loved one just passed away, whether you have a health problem, whatever's going on in your life, you can trust in the Lord. It wasn't this big charge, you're going to go win the World Series Cubs after 100 years of not losing, or of losing. It was trust in the Lord no matter what situation you are in, no matter what's going on in your life. The reason I bring these four principles up are because I think if you and I start looking at the Bible through this lens, then we have a chance at understanding what God originally meant and what he means for our lives. Now, I don't want to miss the point here of saying, I think you can read scripture out of context, or I think you can read a verse and get a lot of encouragement from that. I think God works in incredible ways. But what these four principles, who the author is, where it took place, where it was, when it was written, and what was happening are four things that I think you can use when miscommunication comes in your life. When you're starting to wonder, what did God really mean when he said that? Can I trust God? Can I trust this group of people? Can I trust Noah or was he just drunk? What was happening in these situations? If you can filter these through, those four things, if you can filter whatever thoughts you're having, I think you'll come to some conclusions that God originally intended for you to have 
and it may prevent you having a miscommunication that causes a stumbling block in your walk with Christ. And my goal for us would be that we're willing and able to ask the tough questions, to ask questions when we don't understand things, to not worry that someone's going to doubt your faith, and that as a group, we can allow God to reveal things in our life and show us passions that maybe we've never seen before. Last week, I gave you the challenge to read one verse a day for the week. I hope you did that, and I hope God revealed stuff to you. What I would like to give you as a challenge now is that you continue doing that. And if you're already doing that and you're comfortable in that, then maybe you go to one chapter a week. Maybe you're already reading, I'm sorry, a day. Maybe you're already reading one chapter a day. My goal would be that then you start doing some sort of Bible study or you start diving in deeper and allowing God to reveal himself to you through scripture. If you would, bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, I wanna first off thank you for today. I wanna thank you for providing safety over the youth event last night and allowing them to have a lot of fun. I pray that as they continue to go out their day to day that the two hours of sleep doesn't hinder the families able to build relationships with each other. And I also wanna pray for the message today. I hope that if somebody has a question about you and maybe they've never been able to draw close to you because they just haven't been able to understand how you could allow something to be said by somebody or how something is in the Bible, I pray that they have the courage to ask somebody, that they don't think that we're doubting their faith because they have questions. Our faith gets deeper by the questions that we have. I ask that you would reveal yourself to us through the book that you gave us and that we would make a commitment to reading it so that we can understand what you have for our lives. In your almighty name I pray, amen.